So sheep are not common in our culture, are they? I, I don't mean that there aren't any sheep in Southeast Texas. I just mean you are unlikely to see anyone on your drive home this morning. And I don't think any of you are keepers of sheep, right? So, so they're not as familiar to us as they would have been to people of Bible days. There were sheep everywhere, and the people of God in the Old and New Testament were, were, were often sheep keepers. And so, and so that would have been a very familiar thing to them in their culture. In fact, one estimate is that there are more than 500, think about that, 500 references to sheep scattered throughout the Old and the New Testaments. Sometimes, sometimes those references are literally to, to sheep. And so as we read over the next few weeks, for example, through the life of Jacob, Jacob is going to own some sheep, and there will be references to some, well, some interesting things that go on with his sheep. You can look forward to reading those stories in a few weeks. But, but on other occasions, on other occasions, sheep are used for the purpose of illustration. And that's what we have going on here in John chapter 10. Jesus wants to communicate some things about his relationship with his people. And so he borrows a figure that would have been familiar to his crowd. He talks about shepherds and sheep. Since we're not so familiar with that, can I point you to a few things in his illustration that might be helpful. Did you notice his reference to the sheepfold? A sheepfold would be an enclosure. In the one pictured here, one that is constructed out of stone, and they would build this out in the areas where sheep grazed, and then at night what a shepherd would do is he would take his flock into that fold. And you could figure out why, right? Even if you don't have sheep at home at your house, you would know why when they were out in the field, they would want to gather them up and enclose them at night. Uh, somebody might try to come steal them. Or there were wolves out, and you would want to protect them from a wolf that might come along and try to devour them. So they would bring the sheep into the fold. And then you, you see the opening right here, right? You couldn't completely close it up because, well, because sheep couldn't get in, right? But with an opening, that presented a problem, right? Because if the sheep can get in, so can the thieves and so can the wolves. And so at this opening, at the door of the fold, that's referenced in John 10 as well, well, the shepherd would be stationed there. In fact, in fact some would literally lay down in front of the door of the sheepfold, and they would put themselves between, between their sheep and any, well, any danger that might come and try, to, and try to attack their sheep. Now, when morning would come, this is where it gets interesting, because the shepherd would come to call his sheep. And yet, sometimes these sheepfolds were actually community facilities. That means they would be used by more than one shepherd. And so, imagine, imagine you've got three shepherds with smaller flocks, because this isn't that big, but overnight all three have put their flocks into this fold, and now morning has come, and, and you're, you're going to call your How do you get them all separated out? Y'all seeing a problem? This is where it gets interesting. 
Because what would happen is a shepherd would come in and he would enter through the door. You remember reading all this in John 10, right? And what Reuben just read for us. He would enter through the door and he would call his sheep, the one that belonged to him. And he would call his sheep and he would go out. And you know what his sheep would do? That's exactly, y'all know today's Leonard's birthday. He's helping me this morning. Today's Leonard's birthday. He's 80 years old. Should I tell him how old you are? Brothers and sisters, I hope I'm as good as Leonard when I'm 80 years old. He's a blessing to us. Thanks for helping me this morning. I appreciate that. But when, when the shepherd go out, his sheep would follow him out of the fold. But what about the ones that belong to the other shepherd? They stayed right there. They didn't move. You know why? That wasn't their shepherd that was calling. And the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. You're seeing all this now in John chapter 10, right? That's why I wanted you to understand all of that, because we're not familiar with sheep. But the people who heard this, they were. And so the figure that Jesus is using is a familiar figure to them. This wasn't about herd management, brothers and sisters. There was, there was a spiritual truth that the Lord is trying to communicate about, about his relationship with his people. And yet, here's the thing that I think is interesting. If you're there in John 10, look down at verse 6. Verse 6 says, This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but... They didn't understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So, oddly enough, even though they understood sheep better than, they, better than we do, they didn't understand what it was that the Lord was trying to stay here. So, John chapter 10 is the record of the Lord's explanation of his illustration of the shepherd and the sheep. And what I'd like to do today is talk to you a little bit about the Lord's explanation. What is it in this context that he is trying to say to us as he talks about shepherds and strangers and sheep? Because you understand, brothers and sisters, we are in this story. And not only was it speaking to the people of that day and those circumstances, it continues to speak to me and you because we are in this illustration too. We'll tie that together as we go through this morning. So there are three things that I think we need to see in this illustration Jesus is using, starting right here with this. I think this illustration contains a blessing that all of God's people are meant to celebrate. And Jesus says it plainly for us. If you're still in John 10, look down at verse number 11. Here is the blessing that we're supposed to celebrate. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. So let's start right there. There's the blessing. Jesus is the good shepherd of his people. He is our good shepherd. Now, I think that would have stirred up all kinds of things in their mind. Maybe you and I are sitting here saying, okay, but what does that mean for me and you? to say that he's a good shepherd. Well, there's a lot of stuff in this context. Let's point out a couple of things that will be helpful to us. First of all, because he is the good shepherd, I want you to notice that Jesus knows his sheep. Look at verse number 14 that Reuben read for us a minute ago. Again, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. Jesus knows his sheep. Now listen, I think it's way too easy to pass right by that without getting what an awesome truth that is. Jesus knows his sheep. 
Brothers and sisters, we are his sheep. That means Jesus knows me and he knows you. Jesus knows who David Banning is. And that's not because I'm special. Put your name, you need to amen that. Put your name in that blank. Because he knows your name too. But here's the thing I want you to get. It's not like there's this list of people who belong in his flock and Jesus knows all the name on the list. He knows you. He knows about your life. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, if you are sitting here this morning and your heart is all bubbled up and you're excited because there's something good going on in your life, Jesus knows about that good thing in your life. And if you're sitting here today and it was hard to get up and come and it's hard to sit here in this crowd today because your heart is burdened with a load of grief and sorrow because of something that's happening in your life, I want you to know he knows about that too. He knows about the burden that you're carrying or the, the grief that you're suffering today. He knows about that. In fact, remember, right at the end of John chapter 2, right at the end of John 2, John tells us that Jesus not only sees the things going on on the outside, the things that, that, that are happening in our life, he knows how we feel about it. He is able to look inside a man's heart so he knows your, your, your joy and he knows your grief. He sees all of those things with us. He knows us better than anyone does. In December of this year, I will be married to Heidi for 34 years. She needs a medal, folks. She's been stuck at, she's been stuck. I got an amen on that too. What's wrong with you people today? She's been stuck with me 34 years. My wife knows me. And then my mom and dad before that, they brought me up, they raised me. They know me. But listen, as much as my wife knows me and my parents, nobody, nobody knows me like Jesus does. And he knows me from the perspective of the Creator. Think about that. We've been emphasizing that all year. He has the Creator's knowledge, the perfect knowledge of how human beings are supposed to operate. Let me say it again. The Good Shepherd knows his sheep, which puts him in the perfect position to be able to come to my rescue. And supply for me the things that I need. Do you see how there's so much more there? We could just pass right over if we don't pause and think about that. Jesus knows his sheep. But there's something else I want you to see. Back up at the beginning of chapter 10. Look at verses 3 and 4. And notice what he does. Actually, verse 2 of chapter 10. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. That's that opening in the sheepfold. He comes in, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and what does he do for them? He leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of him, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The second thing that I want you to see is this picture of the shepherd guiding his sheep and leading his sheep. That's what the, that's what the Lord does for us. That's what our good shepherd does. That's the work of a shepherd, isn't it? He needs to take those sheep and he needs to find good places for them to graze so they can so they can they can be healthy and happy and so that's his task. He takes them out, he leads them to good pasture and along the ways. Listen, he knows the pitfalls too. He knows there's some dangerous landscape out there that he didn't need to get them off into where they might fall and be injured or there might be some areas where he knows the wolves are lurking, right? What's he going to do about that? 
He's going to be sure he leads them away from those places where he knows the wolves are. He's leading and guiding his sheep, which is what he does for me and you. It's what he wants to do. He wants to take us in the right direction. He wants to bring us to good places so that we can be healthy and sound. And listen, the Lord knows that there's some dangers out there. There are some pitfalls in life. And what he wants to do is he wants to lead us away from these places that we can, that we can fall into and make big messes in our life. Have you been there? You messed up along the way, stumbled into some pitfall, messed up and just created a, a whole bunch of grief and trouble for your life? Listen, some of us know all about that. We've wallowed in the pit for a while. We've been in the mess. What a blessing to have someone who says, I know where all of those are. And if you'll listen to me, I'll take you away from that. I'll lead you away from all of that mess. In fact, look at verse 10. What does Jesus want for us? Verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't see any reason to limit that idea of abundant life. Someone says, well, I think what he's talking about there is spiritual life in heaven. I think he's talking about that too. And someone says, well, you don't have to limit it to heaven. I think that means that he wants us to have the richest, fullest life on earth here and now. I think that's true too. He wants us to have abundant life in every possible way. And I tell you what I need to do. I need to plug the Bible in right at this place. Do you see why that's necessary? Because brothers and sisters, that's how the shepherd guides the sheep. That book you're holding in front of you this morning, or that device you're holding with the Bible open on it, those are the directions of the shepherd. And listen, he's not going to guide us in some other way. If you're sitting out on the lake and you hear the wind blow and there's some voice in the wind, you need to go see someone about that, because that isn't the Lord. Okay? If the Lord's going to speak to you, it's going to be in this book. And so let me tell you something. If I'm not in the book, I don't have my Bible open at home reading it. I'm not coming to Bible class and getting the book open, drinking, drinking deeply of what the Lord says. Brothers and sisters, I am not being led by the shepherd. And there's a wolf out there waiting to get me. I need to be concerned about it. All right, I got to press on because I got a lot more to say, and there's more to be said about that. There's a third thing that I want you to see, and then we're going to move on. It's in verse 11. Will you look there? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. In fact, that seems to be the primary thing on which he's focused here. Would you look down, look down at verse number 15? He's going to say it again. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay it down on my own initiative. You know, a good shepherd would risk his life for the sheep. Remember that door to the sheepfold? And we said that at night, one of the shepherds would lay down in front of the door, literally putting himself between the danger and the sheep. You know, that was okay most nights. It's the night where the, the, night where the wolf comes up. That could be a problem. Or if he's out in the field and one of those wolves would come up and try to snatch away one of his sheep, what would the job of the shepherd be? 
You know, when we see the painting of the shepherds, he's always kind of leaning on his staff and standing on the hillside smiling. And that's the way it was most days, I guess. But some days when that wolf came up, he was putting himself between the wolf and his sheep. He was actually risking his life. And let me be clear about something. This text does not say Jesus risks his life for the sheep, does it? What's it say? He lays down his life for the sheep. There's something different that Jesus has in mind here. Jesus is pointing, you know what to point to, right? It's pointing to the cross when he's going to lay down his life and then rise again and become that sacrifice so that we could be rescued from sin. Verse 15, he says, I lay down down my life for my sheep. In fact, at this point, it kind of becomes an odd figure because the Lamb of God is laying down his life for his lambs. And so as I told you when I read this, I see a blessing, don't you? Brothers and sisters, we are blessed because we have a good shepherd that wants to take care of us in so many ways. And John 10 is trying to get us to see that. But that's not the only thing. I need to press on because there's a second thing I need to see. It is such a blessing that there is no clock in the back. I have no idea how long I'm going to preach today. The second thing that I want you to see is this. This text, there is a danger that we need to be aware of, a danger that he's warning us about here. In fact, he emphasizes this over and over and over again. Did you see that? Look back at verse number one. In verse number one, he says, there are, there are thieves and robbers. In verse five, strangers, people, people that will try to come and, and lead the sheep away. And then in verse 12, he mentions the hired hand. This is the guy, this is the guy who didn't own the sheep. He had no personal stake in their welfare. He was just paid some money to go keep an eye on them. And so, and so when, when the wolf comes, what's the hired hand going to do? He's going to run a, he laid down his life for these sheep, right? They don't belong to me. And then in verse 12, there's the wolves who are out there threatening to devour the sheep. And so all through this context, verse after verse after verse, Jesus says, there are dangers to my sheep. And I want to warn you about it. So who are these dangers? Not for sheep, but for me and you. Who were the dangers for the people who would receive this this teaching when Jesus was giving it here in John 10? I would suggest you don't have to look any further than one chapter back in chapter 9 to figure it out. In John chapter 9, we have this beautiful story, this record of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. It is a great story. Whole nother sermon to be preached there. And even without the clock, I won't preach that sermon today. But he heals this blind man. And the Pharisees, rather than acknowledging the miracle and its implications, they do everything in John 9 that they possibly can to deny the miracle and to deny what it said about Jesus. And so... In verse 16, the Pharisees into the picture, and they've heard about this miracle, and they call in the blind man, and they say about Jesus, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. That's all they got. 
He did it on the wrong day, and it violated the Sabbath law, which it didn't. And by the way, Jesus is the one who made the Sabbath law, so we probably shouldn't quibble with him about that. Then they call his parents in when they don't get anywhere with him. Parents are a funny part of the story. Calling the parents and said, is this your kid? That's our kid. Was he blind? Yes. How did he get well? We don't know. He's old enough. You talk to him. They're like, leave us out of this because this is a big scandal. And so they call him back in in verse 24, and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And I love it. The blind man said, well, that's a really strange thing, because this guy took a blind man and opened his eyes, and the religious leaders of Israel, y'all don't get it. Isn't that kind of weird? And so you know what they did with that great logic? They threw him out, verse 34 says. They cast him out. They wanted nothing to do with it. Anybody should have known who Jesus was. If anybody should have pointed people to Jesus, it should have been these religious leaders. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, they became wolves. They tried to devour the people. They tried to lead people away from the true shepherd. They're robbers stealing these sheep or trying to that didn't belong to them. There are your false shepherd. There are your wolves. And they came cloaked in the garb of religious leaders. We know who it is that cared about this lost lamb. Are you still in John 9? Verse 34 says they put him out. That is, they threw the blind man out. But verse 35 picks up and says, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. There's the real shepherd, the true shepherd, going out and finding that lost lamb and making sure that he took care of him. Well, God's people continue to have enemies. And you and I need to be aware of that danger. Brothers and sisters, there are voices out there that are trying to, to lead us away from the good shepherd. I think about the voices of our culture. Because almost every single day, we are hearing people repudiate the things that Jesus taught us to believe and to do. And they want us to hear their voices and reject Jesus and embrace the thinking of our culture. And sadly, that kind of thing has found its way into pulpits all across this country where preachers have embraced and bought the thinking of our culture and on this very day are teaching and saying things with a Bible in their hands that lead people away from Jesus. It's a grave danger. And you and I need to be aware of it. There are robbers out there that would try to steal us from the true shepherd. There are wolves out there 
bent on devouring the sheep. We need to be sure in dangerous times like these that we are hearing the voice of the shepherd because there are strangers out there. We need to be sure that we do not listen to them. Okay, you know I want to say a lot more about that, right? But I do need to press on because I have one more thing I need to see. This text says some things to us about our shepherd, and it says some things to us about these strangers and the dangers they present. But I want you to notice, thirdly, that this text also says something to us about sheep. Jesus talks about the sheep, too. And when he does, I would suggest that tucked in there is a challenge for me and you. So that's the last thing I want to leave you with today. I want you to think about some things that are said about the sheep. Let's talk about that before we're done. Look down in verse 14. The first thing I want you to see is this. Remember we read this earlier where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what did we learn there about the good shepherd? He knows his sheep, right? You see that in verse 14? But you notice I didn't finish the verse because what else does it say? My own know me. Remember that figure of the good shepherd entering the fold? in the morning, and he calls out to his sheep, and they recognize his voice. And when he goes out, look back up at verse 4, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of him, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so what I'm going to say to me and you this morning, here's a challenge. We need to be sure that we act like sheep. And one of the lessons we learn from the sheep is we need to hear the voice of our shepherd. Again, that's not that mystical voice you hear in the wind when you're out on the lake. In fact, this is actually just really, really practical. We need to get in the book, and we need to get to know the shepherd. I need to read about Jesus who he was and how he lived. And all those sermons that are recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I need to read the sermons of Jesus. I need to imbibe his spirit every day. I need to know him better and better. And I would tell you what's really cool, brothers and sisters, is the more we spend time in the book, not on the lake, listening to the shepherd, the better we are able to to hear his voice. In fact, let me tell you what it'll do for you. Sometime, as you get to know the shepherd, you're going to hear someone saying something and crediting Jesus. They're going to say, this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus was want. And you're going to think to yourself, that doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't sound right to me because that does not sound like what I read in the book. Or you'll hear someone say something and you'll think, you know, I think that's right because that sure fits what I know about the shepherd. And most importantly, when we want to be sure, we'll, we'll, we'll know where to go to figure it out, right? We go back to the book. And we let the shepherd speak to us. The better you get to know him, the better you are able to identify his voice. And along the way, it gets harder and harder for those strangers. Well, they can't lead us away. We're like the sheep in that fold. Our shepherd comes in and he calls. We go because we know. But somebody else starts calling out to us. We think, that's not the voice of my shepherd. I know better than that. I say that to you, brothers and sisters, because people today all the time are getting messed up by strangers. They don't know Jesus, and so they do not know how to recognize his voice. I think we see this all the time. 
with people who attribute ideas and teaching to Jesus, ideas and teaching that Jesus would repudiate. Have you ever heard somebody say, listen, Jesus loves people. Jesus loved people, and he accepted them just as they are. And so I know Jesus will accept me just as I am because Jesus was all about love and not all about this judging and condemning that other people are doing. Ever heard anybody say something like that? I mean, just plug in the life scenario. People use that kind of thing all the time to talk to this audience who know the Good Shepherd. Is that the Good Shepherd you're hearing when people say that? Now, listen. The New Testament certainly teaches that Jesus loves us. That's absolutely true. How many passages could we cite about that? I won't even go down that road. But this idea that Jesus accepts people as they are, folks, that is absolutely not so. In fact, just the opposite is true. Jesus came to change people from who they are. And so he is very plain in Scripture in calling out sin again and again and again. Read Matthew 23. What do you have to say with the Pharisees? Hey, all you guys in your hypocritical judgment, I take you just the way you are. The Lord didn't say that. In fact, anything about John 8, that woman taken in adultery who had been mistreated and entrapped by those awful people who set her up, and this woman's caught in adultery, you know, even though you contend that Jesus is very gentle and careful with her there, I tell you what he says to her. He says, you need to not do this anymore. This is wrong. In Matthew chapter 5, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, down to verse 27, it is Jesus who has said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he adds in 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's Jesus speaking in one of his sermons. And what he says there, you know, you've always been taught that it's, that it's wrong to commit adultery. He says that's not far enough. You look with lust, you're already sinning, and you better fix that or you're going to go to hell. That's Jesus speaking. So this idea... That Jesus accepts people just as they are. Listen, folks, that is not true. Jesus calls out and rebukes sin, and he demands for his people a radical measure of holiness. Folks who run around today saying that I can live how I want to live, and the loving shepherd will accept me just as I am, they have heard the voice of a stranger. We cannot make the same mistake. The sheep hear the shepherd. They know him. And then secondly, we need to add to that, that the sheep followed the shepherd. If you go back to John 10 and look down there at verses 3 and 4, remember, he calls his sheep, verse 3 said, he leads them out. And what do the sheep do, verse 4? It says, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's a beautiful figure, isn't it? In fact, it's emblazoned in 
pictures painted and displayed for sale in religious bookstores. This picture of Jesus, he kind of looks like an infeminate hippie, right? He's wearing one of them long robes. He's got the staff in his hand. He's got the long hair. You think we'd be out of the, the 60s by now and get a different kind of picture of Jesus. But that's, that's how they have him displayed in his long road with his staff. And he's walking out on this beautiful green grass on this hillside. And what are the sheep doing? All the sheep are just kind of following along behind him, right? It's a beautiful image, right? The sheep following the shepherd. I don't know, folks. I'm not sure it's always so pretty and easy for the sheep following the shepherd. What about when the shepherd says, you know that guy you work with? The one that goes and parties all weekend and comes in on Monday and has to brag and tell you all about all the awful things he did. You know that guy you work with? Tomorrow I want you to go in and I want you to tell him about me. And it isn't going to go so well at first because he really doesn't believe that religion has anything to offer him. But what I want you to do is you hang with him for several months and put up with his grief and his ridicule and you keep on talking because one day, one day he's going to hear you and he's going to respond to me. You go to work Monday and you start talking to that guy. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's a different story. Suddenly little lambs following the shepherd. That's not what that looks like. That looks like hard work. Or what about when the shepherd says this? You know, you had a falling out with your brother a month ago, and things have still been tense between the two of you. And listen, you kind of lost it and said some things you shouldn't have said, and you were unkind. I want you to go apologize. Yeah, I know he's got some fault in it too, but that's not your business. This is about your fault. You go apologize and make it right. (laughs) Is that a different thing? Yeah, nobody wants to paint that on a picture, right, and put it up in a bookstore so we can buy it for our house. Sometimes following the shepherd is hard. We sing that song, where he leads, I'll follow. Will we? It's a pretty picture. question is, does my life look that way? Because that's what sheep do. They don't question the shepherd about his direction. They just follow. Look at verse 19. A division occurred between the Jews because of these words. I can imagine. This was radical teaching. This was a hard message. And people did not receive it in the same way. Verse 20 says, many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? This is a nutcase. You people need to walk away from Jesus. And many did. Verse 21 says, others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. Doesn't sound like a nutcase. And then, a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Yeah, that looks back to chapter 9. What about the blind guy? He can see now. How do you attribute that word to a demon-possessed man? What he's saying is that their rejection of Jesus was unreasonable. But you have a division. You end up with two categories, right? Some who rejected him and ridiculed and dismissed him and walked away, and others who couldn't get past the logic and the reasoning. They embraced him and believed and became his followers. 
And so you and I are left in the same place. Brothers and sisters, there are only two categories of people. Those who reject him and walk away. And if you have not embraced Jesus as your Savior, that's where you are today. And there are those who have believed in him because they can't get past the logic. Men who can give sight to the blind. Men who rose from the dead. Cannot be demon-possessed. Cannot lie about who they are and what they've come to do. You can't get past the logic today. The question is, are you one of his sheep? Are you in his fold? When he calls, do you follow? And if that's not the choice you've made, what we want to do right now is encourage you to make the choice because it's sound, because it's reasonable. In light of the evidence, it's only the only choice a man can make but to be his child. Would you do that today? You need to respond to him. You make your way to the front right now while we stand. While we sing.